Coffee beans. Hello, welcome back to the Cairncast. We uh, are in a crisper clarity, if that makes any sense today. A few more megapixels, uh, yeah. as our, our producer Jack is back in the house, back in the roastery, as it were. Yeah. Um, we're back here with some activity going on behind us, uh, which, you, you know, apparently uh, it's a, a thing to do these days. You go more viral if you've got more than one movement on the screen. Exactly. So, so for people... Subway surfers in the back. Exactly. Younger than us. There's something going on in the background to keep you excited. It's pretty cool. It's also quite loud, but Jack has assured us that our voices will cut through. And by assuring, he said, I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. So maybe you cannot hear us, but let's crack on. Today, yeah. what are we talking about? So I think today we're, we're going to talk, uh, it feels very apt, we're in the roastery, uh, and it feels the right time to just talk a bit more about uh, coffee roastering, and more specifically about um, how cool it is to, to run a coffee roastery, and, and why we think it's the best job in the world. I'm just coining that. But yeah. uh, no, you're know, talking a bit more about uh, coffee roasting in general, and, and how we've, I suppose, tried to um, adapt and diversify to yeah, and try and make money along the way. Um, yeah. So I don't know where we should kick off. Well, so I think we've obviously talked quite a lot in previous podcasts about uh, necessarily why you got in, I guess, to roasting. Um, but I think probably let's just start off with summarizing that. Like, obviously, you had two cafes. Frederick Street and uh, Melville Place were set up. And then in 2018 time, you got a roaster, obviously started up north, then it came down here. Why did you start roasting your own coffee? What was the, what was the point behind that? So, like, the point behind it, I guess, was to feel more connected to what we were selling. Is is um, it's your biggest uh, cost of goods sold, I guess. You know, you're you're selling a lot of this one product, um, so it kind of makes sense to want to have. Uh, I guess an opportunity to have a bit more of a USP to divert to kind of um, yeah to add a bit more diversity for yourself against your competitors. You know, we at that point had uh, we were the only ones selling Kerrygum coffee, which was you know it was a nice yeah we, um, uh, plus point I guess for coming to our cafe and enjoying our coffee. Uh, I remember quite early on someone saying it's extremely hard to uh, make money as a roastery. And I was like, yeah, but we've got a cafe. We've got, yeah, um, yeah. and obviously at that point we were, it was my dad's cafe, Relia Cafe up north, um, and our two shops. And we were the only customers of the cafe, uh, as it were. And um, it was always the, um, the ambition and the goal to do wholesale, but we were quite, we felt like we had enough um, and need to that point that we could, uh, we could get through, but justifying, I guess, having the roaster. Because obviously, as you'll see, if you're watching this on YouTube, the uh, the roasters, well, well, it it does as well now. We're yeah. still not touching the ceiling of its potential in terms of capacity uh, in the roasting week. Um, and so when we first got it, it was far bigger than we needed. And the the businessman inside me would say, you don't you shouldn't be necessarily buying for the roaster you want, yeah, but the roaster you need, I guess. You need right now. So if you only yeah. need a five kilo one, only get a five kilo one at the start. That seems to make sense. Yeah. But I guess uh, we have, we've always had quite strong ambitions, whether rightly or wrongly. Um, and as we're discovering now, 
the larger your roaster, the less overheads you have. You know, yeah. the time it takes to roast coffee can be between you know eight and fifteen plus minutes. Yeah, and it's uh, so it's pretty time consuming, and obviously time is money. You're paying staff to yeah to like have on the background right now is smashing it on the the tools, and I guess in hindsight, um, getting the twelve kilo roaster we have was uh, a good thing. And so, yeah, you get much, much bigger roasters. So, for example, you could get a 75 kilo roaster. But what we're trying to say there is that you still only need one person and one space. Like this space could fit a 75 kilo roaster. So in that same 15 minute time frame, we'd be able to roast 75 kilos instead of 12 kilos. So you can see you get massive economies of scale, I guess, through that. But right now we're pretty delighted, I guess, with the size, you know, our 12 kilo roaster is absolutely perfect for our needs right now. Yes, because I think it gives us a bit of um, flexibility to be able to do small roasts for, you know, single origin filters. We were talking today, you know, our our blends that we sell, Guilty Pleasures, makes up a huge um, percentage of our coffee sold. Uh, so it's good for that, but also we want to sell, like, single origin coffees. And we, this will maybe give us a tangent into going on to to do the things that you find fun in, in the business you run. But, yes. Um, but, I don't know, blah. Um, but yeah, I think uh, being able to to do the small single origin roasts was something that was good fun. It helped build brand, um, but you don't want to have to do 70 kilos of that, which is a whole sack. Yeah. And you're left with 65 kilos unsold. So, yeah. Which yeah. obviously you can see the sacks behind us as well. So... Obviously, they vary in size, but... Um, so this is the coffee we are drinking right now. Yeah. Which is um, Matambu Hill, which is our coffee of the month Ooh. for March. It's um, an absolute banger. Red coffee. Real good. Um, really, really nice coffee. Really custardy. Really definitely got the red fruit syrupy sweet kind of Yes. But so if you've got a really, really big roaster, one of those sacks would go in per roast essentially, which yeah. is, which is an enormous volume. Just out of interest for everyone, uh, so we've got our 12 kilo probat there. How much does that cost new? I can't even remember. Okay. Like roughly five figures. Yeah. Uh, and no 10 grand. Yeah. Uh, 50 grand? How much? 50? No. No, not as much as that. that. Okay. Somewhere in the middle, I think. Okay, cool. Um, so I, we, uh, because the plan was my dad and I had a romantic idea of being able to split a roaster and then you know, for our cafes. So, yeah. Uh, he would roast on himself for his shop and I would roast it on myself. So we kind of split the cost. So I can't even remember what it was now, but uh, it's not um, unsubstantial. It's Yeah. yeah. So if you're wanting to set up a coffee roastering, roasting business, probably your biggest outlay initially is the actual... Roasting machine by an absolute wait until roasteries go bust and then, which they they yeah. didn't before you know, um, I, I, it was hard to come across a good call, a good condition proba. I feel yeah, um, there was a pretty ripe market for the for people to want to buy them and there weren't there weren't very many around. So we we bought new. Um, the issue at the moment we're in we are in the glory years of specialty coffee. You know, all of uh, all of the technology is increasing the array of knots. Yeah. So now, like, I would foresee that electric co- coffee roasters are going to be the future. And, you know, that may become null and void in the next 10 years. Which makes sense, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Like, obviously, so our one right now is uh, is gas-fired. But, yeah, I can definitely see electric roasters taking, all, taking over much, much more in the future. 
Um, I guess part of this as well we're saying is so many people now roast their own coffee, uh, especially in Edinburgh and Glasgow, you know, across Scotland, there's so many coffee roasters versus 10 years ago. Um, and I think that's a reflection of probably the startup costs are not enormous, but also I think like the reason we're doing this podcast, it's quite good fun. As in what you are doing is receiving raw green beans and turning them into an own brand product, basically. And I think that was a huge part of the attraction for you, wasn't it? Yeah, I always refer to it as this kind of romantic um, process of, you know, we source the coffee, not direct, well, direct from farm, but not visiting the farms. Yeah. Um, but from the point you cup the coffees from importers that you received. Yeah. And to bring it from that to receiving it from origin, roasting it, uh, doing the, the marketing elements to bring it to life and yeah. then being able to go into the cafe and, and drink that. Yeah. And I've had, had, I mean, had touching points all along the way. Obviously, I don't want to oversell our impact. Obviously, before it arrives in the UK, there is an enormous amount, and you know, all of the work is done. Uh, we're doing a very small fraction of the, the work to to uh, kind of seal the deal at the end. Yeah. Um, the process of receiving a green, making a brown, and I'm seeing on a shelf is is a really um, enjoyable process. Yeah, it's, massive. Yeah. I, I I I kind of would I would compare it to, uh, and you might not <laughs> like this uh, being uh, vegan, but you know, like going out and fishing for a fish. fish. If you then had a seafood restaurant to then take that back. Yeah, work with the chefs to prepare it and then to sell it to customers. That kind of like full circle aspect is quite romantic, isn't it? Are you saying you would one day maybe like to own a coffee farm? Is that where we're going? Oh. Yeah. So it's literally right the way from yeah, from field to field to four cup. <laughs> yeah, um, no, I do. Cup. I do think that is very very cool. I think there are people that are doing that. I think Tim Wendelbow, what well, he does, and Sasha Sestic and. Um, own a coffee in Australia. They have uh, either shares or they're connected in some way or own farms. I think that that's unbelievable. That is cool. That has to be probably some sort of caregrown goal is eventually to own your own coffee farm. Um, but I think, like you're saying there, part of the joy you get, we get, we obviously work a lot with Hannah and Kate um, and Matt to source coffee is really, really exciting, especially you know, we talk about our reds or different color profiles. That is a big part of the job is actually going out there and finding those coffees. And I think as a coffee roaster, that is definitely one of the exciting parts of the job, isn't it? Getting For sure. new coffees on our desk. We get to cup them and you're like, oh, that was great. Which is exactly what happened with this one. Took us all by surprise. Yeah. And we absolutely loved it. Do you know the, the thing which, because um, obviously in this podcast we're talking about uh how fun it can be to to run a coffee roastery. Yeah. Um, I find I've been guilty in the past of letting my excitement boil over uh, and as an example to release like four coffees all in one week yeah. or one day uh, instead of trying to be pragmatic and controlling myself and trying to think of it as a business. So I think that is something that, uh, and there's there's no real issue with doing that but i think it dilutes the excitement of being like well, this is our coffee of the month and it absolutely slaps yeah uh let's focus on this for a minute yeah. rather than being like here's four incredible coffees so i think um uh that's an example of where 
your excitement can sometimes well, sway you from acting in a sensible fashion. Well, also like um, the Grand Slam coffee is a good example of that yeah. as well. Like obviously that's something that was launched very much at a whim, um, but it's an incredible tasting coffee made up of our, probably three of our best coffees at the moment. Yeah. Um, that's the kind of freedom you get though through obviously you sitting in the roastery, you're obviously very good at knocking up graphics <laughs> and being able to make hashtag Fiverr. Yeah. Could this be sponsored by Fiverr? That'd be quite a Fiverr, yeah. Fiverr. Um, but I think that's very, very cool. It allows you to think outside the box. And, you know, we're talking a little bit probably more from a wholesale direction as well, but the online aspect for us as well is big. It's something that we really want to grow is sure. um, our web sales, essentially, and subscriptions. Yeah. I think you've been quite good at grounding me a bit on that because obviously, like I guess it's hopefully comes from an entrepreneurial streak, but like I sometimes think, oh, we could build this into like being a, like a part of the roastery could be a decent e-commerce business. Yeah. Because uh, you look at the likes of like Coffee Hit or Brewed by Hand, these kind of uh, real um, coffee uh, accessories and goods yeah. businesses. But that is their focus, like that's yeah, what they do. So. And it's quite hard to be everything. To be like, oh, coffee roastery, cafes. Well, exactly. So how do you juggle that at the moment? And, I, you know, we, we do a lot of juggling. But, yeah, there's three cafes to run in Edinburgh, a roastery, there's an online. There is quite a lot going on all the time, isn't there? Well, even if you dedicate a day to each of those things, that's the week. That's the week gone, I know. Which is mad. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't, that doesn't account for anything really going wrong at all, does it? No. Not yeah. at all. And like a, lo a lot of the the moving parts of running a business and running a business as it scales, I guess, is people management. And yeah. that takes up a, a decent, uh, rightly, a decent amount of the time. And I guess for sure. I yeah. think we've probably slightly uh, gone off on a tangent there, yeah. but from a roastery, again, point of view, how much do you think that adds to Kerrigan Coffee, the brand, versus just having cafes? Um, I think it adds a lot. Look at you, yeah. man. Because I think having a tangible product makes you more of a an expert in the field. Like, yeah. I think without the the coffee roasting, we're a cafe, yeah, which is which is great. Um, but I think I think quite quickly, uh, I'm not saying it's through anything, but the fact we started a roastery, people started to view us as like a credible source of. You know, we knew what we were talking about. Yeah. And to be fair, we have learned an exponential amount about coffee through the roasting yeah, journey. Yeah. So, yeah, we're becoming, we're becoming, we're, we're learning a lot of skills along the way. But, uh, yeah, I think it's added a huge amount. Like, I think I've been always been obsessed with tangible products. I think yeah. we've talked about it before, but that's why making t-shirts, making sweaters, making hats um, was a large part of it in advance of us doing coffee. And now getting the bags out on shelves was a real big like milestone for us. One that um, has, I think as well, just given us a lot of confidence to kind of, to push on. And I think now when people come to the cafes, they, they do get a different experience Yeah, because they're buying into more than just a coffee. They're, um, they're buying into, I guess, more of a community and a brand around that. And I think that's something you're probably trying to build on a little bit more I guess through doing the coffee of the month um, 
and, and different, I guess, like even the Grand Slam bet blend, you know, we had the summer banger last year. That flexibility you have in the roaster of being able to come up with new blends or new products to a certain extent yeah. then allows you to freshen up the cafes a little bit. Because if we speak about, obviously, Bonnie and Wild and the Melville Place shop, they both use Guilty Pleasures generally for the milk espresso. Most of, yeah. Well, if you go in there, most days you're getting Guilty Pleasures. But now we've kind of added in the options where you can get a single origin if you want in there as well. Yeah. You can try Summer Banger on, potentially it's on batch, but yeah. there's lots of optionality, I think. Definitely. I think, um, to be fair, that is it's kind of something we've come back to post-COVID. Yeah. It was something we were we pushed pretty hard. Obviously, we only started doing a blend two or three years ago. Yeah. If you scroll back on YouTube, you'll see us talking about it. It was a new thing for us, and it's been a very successful thing. Like, any coffee roasters out there, it makes complete sense to do a blend. Yeah. Just do it well. Yeah, yeah. I think is the, the um, don't fall into the trap, so if you can use it to cover sins or anything. Yeah. But, um, but I think, um, yeah, I think, like, we when we started, we were doing single origin exclusively before that. Yeah. And we would always try to have more than, than, than one. Um, and like I don't, we, we've spent on, well, this isn't a podcast about COVID, but there was a long period throughout that where we did try and go back to basics and simplify. I did a, a post on Instagram this week, or last week about um, food and like how um, we were just building back into that. Like yeah. we're still not back, well, we're now, I would say surpassing where we were, but yeah. we're, you know, it's taken a long time to, to get back to having food menus to, really focusing in on that one thing. Yeah. Because for a long time, we're basically shitting our bricks and we weren't going to survive the next month. And but it's interesting to see, obviously, and this is another tangent, but it's only really the last couple of months that you see, you know, especially in Melville Place and Frederick Street, where the seating is communal, where people are getting more comfortable sitting next to people yeah. again. You know, they'll walk in and they're like, oh, the cafe's almost full and they'll go and sit next to someone. Yeah. Yeah, six months ago, people were just walking straight out again. So I do think... Yeah, we are almost back to normal. Yeah, well, that was the that was genuinely one of the hardest things for me, and one of the reasons that um, I didn't want to for the longest time reopen Frederick Street was because uh, it always thrived upon people sharing tables. Like yeah. just to have one long table, and people would gravitate towards it. They wanted to sit. Yeah, and, and it was high up, so they could watch the baristas at work. It was a real vibe. Like yeah, it's at it. It then inspired Melville. It was like, okay, everyone's gravitating to this one high table. That became the framework for all the tables in Melville. Oh, yeah. And, like, it was a great thing. Like, it was, you know, um, a really, like, nice thing to be a part of, just to be able to sit and watch people get to know each other. Like, I'm not saying necessarily people became best mates around the table, but, like... I don't know. There's a real community when you feel comfortable, at least. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then to go into Frederick Street post-COVID um, and have had to take out that table, which was quite a milestone, and put in four really spaced-out tables. The whole DNA of the place yeah. is lost. Yeah. And so now, yeah, to go back in and feel the place buzzing with those shared tables, it's it's a real good thing. Again, massive tangent, yeah, but it's, it's a real positive thing. Math massively. Well, let's, I guess, get back on track. I want to Quickly, we've kind of talked about the benefit of um, which having a roastery for our own brand and their own cafes. But I guess one of the most exciting bits about having the roastery is getting to work with wholesale customers. 
Um, sure. And we are very lucky to have some great wholesale customers. I think we're going to touch briefly on, you know, the different services we do for them because they're two completely different offerings. And again, it's like we're sitting here talking about running cafes, running a roastery, running an online shop as well. Yeah. Even in the roastery, we then have lots of different product offerings for wholesale customers. Yeah. And there's lots of complexity around all that stuff all the time. So, for example, let's start talking about white label. So, yeah. explain, what is white label? Well, so, I was showing to my dad about white label, and yeah. he thinks it's privately. We've had some kind of uh, chats in the in-house about that whether the term is white label or private label, yeah. whatever it is, the concept is um, that you are roasting coffee for a client and their name is going on it. Yeah. Um, so you're essentially manufacturing the, the product, getting no benefit from it in a visual sense, yeah. apart from uh, financial, um, a financial transaction. Yeah. Uh, it always, obviously has a massive benefit. Yeah, for a business like ourselves to to be a part of that kind of thing, um, and it's something that probably we don't really do a huge amount of, but um, we're pretty open to exploring further. Yeah, um, I think yeah. Again, that's just a a, a kind of a, a learning almost from COVID has been don't kind of shut yourself away from any opportunities. It's like you know you need to be um, leave your ego at the door to a certain extent because yeah. I guess that's the only downside is it's not an opportunity to further your brand. No. Um, but it could open large opportunities for making use of the the staff that are here, the, the roaster and, and all that kind of... 100%. And I think that's part of the thing with all that is um, you like to have own brand as well. But basically doing white label or private label is kind of giving that... Uh, customer their own brand as well it looks like an own brand product it is an own yeah. brand product and i think that's very very attractive same way it's attractive for us it's very attractive for obviously the companies that we work with to do white label yeah um and like you said so the benefit from our point of view is that it gets volume through our roaster which otherwise wouldn't be doing any work if it, yeah know, it adds in work for the roaster and yeah. kind of lowers your cost per kilo production costs. I always find it interesting to hear other roasteries talk about how much they roast. So I don't know if we like, we, we try and be quite transparent on the podcast. Yeah. Like we're probably saying about half the week used at the moment. Yeah. yeah. Working week. So we're doing kind of two, two and a half days. Yeah. Some maybe on a busy week three. Yeah. Uh, which gives us two days when that roaster could be on and it's not. Yeah. You'll probably say we should have waited for one of those days to record the podcast. But yeah. Uh, Good point. But hey, we've got lots. You got to strike while the iron's hot. And yeah, when you go, when you got some great ideas about a podcast, yeah, you got to you got to crack on. But it's a valid point. So instead of running the roaster for two and a half days, we could be running it for five days a week. Yes. But right now we're doing roughly one thousand two hundred kilos a month mm -hmm. green, which equates to whatever nine hundred to a thousand kilos once you you lose the moisture. So obviously, if we double that, you know, we'd be doing 2,000 kilos a month, basically. Um, then we might make some money. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how you make money as a coffee roast. Yes. But, and, you know, whether that is through uh, white label or not, does yeah. it really make a difference? No, exactly. So, uh, yeah, that's exactly the point we're trying to make there, is that 
um, white label, the more of that you do, it helps you get up to your five days a week yeah. full-time roasting. And so we're talking about 2,000 kilos a month probably on our 12-kilo roaster. Uh, could probably do up to two and a half, three thousand if it was running absolutely flat out every day. But if you change that to a 75 kilo roaster, you're then talking about I'll have four and a half days to to kick around. <laughs> you're talking five times yeah. what that volume. So you know if you've got a 75 kilo roaster, you're talking about doing 75 is massive. So that's 10,000 like, kilos a month of for those specialty coffee fans out there. That's I, you know, that's the kind of volume that, you know, a square mile will be looking at. Yeah. Which is huge. Um, I, I, I think it's huge. I, I don't know the intricacies of it, but, you know, if you look at that roastery tour on YouTube, he's putting a whole sack of coffee into yeah. his probat. I think it's probat. Um, so, yeah, that's, it's quite mind-boggling. There's like maybe just about one coffee or two coffees a week we could get away with doing that for. Yeah. Um, but that'd be one roast. Yeah. Yeah. So it'd be a complete... Instead of pointless. five roasts, it'd be one roast. Yeah. But so that, just to put that into context again, it's, yeah, some of these big roasters will be doing 10,000 plus kilos a month, which is 10 tons. So over the course of a year, doing 120 tons of coffee, which is just an enormous volume, isn't it? Yeah. So that's the, the level when you're getting con containers. You're literally... Yeah. Uh, contracting whole shipping containers and yeah um which obviously i don't think we've made any like uh we've been quite open with the fact like we want to be a big business like yeah have, like it's not um whilst we talk about the romantic concepts and all these kind of things obviously to get to the point where you can you know have more impact on a farm yeah or yeah. your own farm like you need to be doing pretty well. In my opinion, you have to be doing some serious volume. I'm going to chuck you under the bus here, maybe with a question that you won't know the answer to. But yeah, a right. small lot farm, yeah. How many tons or kilos would a small lot farm be producing in a year? What I'm annoyed about right now is I had a phone call with Matt Langdon, Matt Langdon, yeah. Matt Randall at Langdon. Uh, he's one of our importer partners, um, and. I was waiting until he finished talking to ask him that question on some point during uh, farms we're going to work with this year. Yeah. And I forgot to ask the question. So I could have had a perfect answer. So I don't really know. But what I was saying to him was, you know, if we were looking at, you know, buying like three pallets, would yeah. it be uh, same like 1,500 kilos? No, more. Yeah. It'd be like under 2,000 kilos um, of coffee. Um, you know, is that what we need to do to be able to, to work with these farmers like much closer yeah and he was kind of saying well actually like a lot of these guys are smallholder farmers yeah so that you know they might not even have that much help so so they might have less than two thousand kilos on, on like of a particular lot of, of yeah, yeah i get it so um but that's interesting as well because we did that last year with the c-tech coffee yeah. um which many of you may remember as it was kind of our funky coffee for a while for a while which with that you know, again, benefit of being a, a roaster, you were able, and Fortitude, I think, did the same with the same producer as well. Yeah. You were able to go to that producer and say, I want to try and do this, mm -hmm. which was add apples yep. during the processing, a carbo carbonic maceration process, plus yeah. apples yeah. to give what was our C-Tech coffee. Yeah. And I think we got like 600 kilos of it. Yeah, it was 600 kilos. We had a lot. Quite a long time. But yeah, they did. 
Uh, I don't know if we still got any of that. But we did sell out. So one, yeah, we did. We didn't throw away. Uh, <laughs> no, um, if, yeah, but I mean, that's going back to having fun with the co- coffee roastery. That's the kind of stuff that you do need to sprinkle some of that in amongst, you know, like the white label stuff to get job satisfaction, don't you? And when Robbie, when he obviously got me involved, he was like, we'll do origin trips like four times a year. So I was like, we'll be going to Rwanda. We can still go. We, do we, do like, we can do that tomorrow, tomorrow but yeah. I've had the kids. Two kids. No, well, I can go. I'll do yeah, it. You could do, yeah. And anyone else, if they want to come with as well, we'll do origin trips. We're going to pick one subscriber this week. <laughs> You can pay for their own flights and <laughs> and hotels, um, uh, but you know those options are on the table. We've talked quite yeah. openly about it. It's like when the time is right, that is something we will do. Oh, I'd love we to want know. to do it when, like, it will have the biggest impact for the business. It's like a business decision. Like, if we spend that money, at what point? Like, how much coffee do we have to have to to make? Yeah, that really pay for itself but like you say as well so at the moment probably 60 to 70 percent of the coffee we roast a month is our blend you know the guilty pleasures blend so i'm like that leaves 30 to 40 percent of the single origin stuff that we're doing and then that split maybe between seven or eight single origins at any given time you know so there's quite a lot of origins isn't there it's not like you can be going to yeah all the origins every year and I guess with the guilty pleasure, like those are probably the, the kind of ones that you want to be getting the most value out of those trips. Yeah. To a point in going to Ethiopia to buy three sacks of coffee. <laughs> yeah. Or like your importer is going to do that for you, basically. Yeah. yeah. But um, like if you're wanting to create direct relationships where it's like that will be 50%, that will be 50% of our blend for 50% of the year. Yeah. And we'll buy that every year. Yeah. yeah. Harvest. That makes a lot of sense. Because, you know, you are really then getting um, a closer relationship and I'm trying to understand the needs of the, the producers. And if, you know, if you then find someone that you can work with for the next 10 years, yeah, then it has been worthwhile. Uh, it's funny though, because like, obviously the most exciting trips would be to go see a small holder and like some random part of Nicaragua, like tiny wee farm. But yeah, you're right. I just think about it from like... A train perspective or a Cairncourt grocery perspective. Yeah. When, if someone's like, I have traveled over from New York to come and visit, will you give up your day for me to come? And oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. You're like, yeah. this guy's trying to, trying to, we can dig up some, yeah, some varietals and replant some coffee. Yes. Um, yeah, just, I, I, it might feel to me a bit like, I don't even that was real bright old man to, from to go in and be like, "Oh, come! I'm visiting your farm. Yeah. I'm paying money to be here. So, can you give up your time?" Robbie's basically passive aggressively saying that he doesn't like getting interrupted during the work day. <laughs> Mainly, it was back in the day when I was roasting at home, and my mom would come over <laughs> with like a sandwich for lunch. I'd be like, "Thank you so much, but I literally can't take my eyes off this roast." Because at that point, this might be interesting for some people. We didn't have crops to it, which you might be able to see in the background on that screen. I used to um, turn the page in my notebook, write 00000000030, and then I would take the temperature every 15 seconds, as I said, and then I would try and predict before I did it where I would want it to be at each point, and then see if I was hitting that. 
So it, that's mind I've never seen a curve before. We could, I had to just make a curve, plot a curve on like Excel after the fact. I was literally doing it all. So when it got to wow. looking at um, percentages of post-crack development, yeah. say it was, we were aiming for 20%, I would have to be like, right, I've hit first crack at say 10 minutes 45. What is like another 20% on top of that? So that I know how long to keep the roads running for. So I was like doing mad calculations on my phone whilst it was, it was, uh, it was completely. So if anyone finds that interesting, I think, uh, we should do a video. I think it's be quite a good video. Like right in front of the roaster, probably with you and Hannah, just talk through a roast, like literally film that and show everyone what you're talking about there. Cause it's, if you are interested in the overall process of roasting, it's quite, it is quite interesting, but yeah. what you've described there. It's quite hard to visualize, I'd say. So I think you should do a video on this. But I think, like, anyone who is starting to roast, they'll, they'll probably understand what I mean by all that. And I think, um, I guess, it's, uh, like, everything, like, we're talking about having a 75-kilo roaster, um, having that at scale yeah. um, makes a lot of sense. But we're paying, like, £120 a month for Cropster. Yeah. Having that when we weren't, we didn't have any wholesale customers didn't really make sense. Yeah, so yeah. I guess it's okay to to uh, go back to basics, isn't it? And uh, I think actually doing stuff like that makes you understand the process better. Like if you rely on data from day one. I completely agree with that. I think um, it's probably one that you're under egg your own skill set on that. Like you're very good at roasting. And I think a lot of that is probably built up from, you know, you have been doing it for five years now. And from the signs of it, you were doing it very manually at the start. So there has been some pros. Can I can I do another quick uh, story for people who might be interested? Yeah. Uh, when I didn't really understand what I was doing, like my first sack of coffee, um, I would weigh out 10 kilos and then I would I put it into a big Tupperware. So it was like a big um, plastic container. So it was relatively spread out. And then I combed through the green coffee looking for defects. To any cracked beans, any like beans that didn't look right the color. Yeah. Which nobody does. Well, as far as I'm aware, nobody does that. But I thought like so you're actually making every oh, beans. So time consuming. It's like oh, wow. taking me an hour to comb through this before I do one row. <laughs> but obviously now you just wait till it comes out in the drying tray and then you, you spend while it's drying pull out the quick yeah you pull out the bottom. Excuse my language here, but what happens if you fucked that roast as well? You've spent an half of <laughs> An hour doing it, and then all of a sudden you're like, double, double fuck up. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. So that's quite funny. That is quite funny. I've got lots of those stories of like, and the biggest thing is, don't be afraid to learn. Yeah. We, wanna, we always try and encourage staff to be like, make mistakes. Loves learning. Yeah. yeah. Never think you know what you're doing. Well, you probably don't. It's a really good segue into we're going to learn about some crisps again. Yeah. On any corner are they? Maize? Maybe what potato. are they? Are they potatoes? <laughs> are they corn or are they maize? So obviously, well, you obviously get corn and maize. Are they potato snacks? Yeah, which is basically potato mush turned into a shape. Um, well, they are, are they vegan? Things. Can you just confirm that? Do you want me to tell you? If but let's crack them open squares. Um, I think we all know everyone's going to love squares. Can I just ask you a question about how you look at stuff for vegan? Yeah. Should it now in the day and age we're in be highlighted as an allergy 
Almost, you know? Like, so you, it should have been bold. If it will say, this will probably say vegetarian, and then it won't be able to say vegan because it'll be like... Like milk powder or something. Uh, it was made in a factory that may contain milk. Because I can't see anything on that that says that looks... So because it's made in a factory that handles milk, Correct. they don't want to say it's vegan. It's but vegan. I think it's probably... It's fine, it's safe. Right, get them over. I'm like, like give me oh, yeah, welcome to this this week's crisp break brought to you by Squares. Yeah. But you got Gary Lineker coming on after the uh, break to join us to give us his rundown on the crisps. Um oh I got a big handful there. I love squares. Wayne Aaron loves them as well. Oh, they're so thought very, very honest. I love that. They're good. Um probably one percent potato, but Oh, good. Really good. And they're really healthy for you because they're so thin. Mm. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, exactly. Back to 99% hair. If you compressed all the crisps together and saw how big the the ball of shit that you're eating is... Yeah, it wouldn't be a lot. For pretty... well, I was going to say it'd be quite shocking. But... More of the most b- battery acid salmon crisps I can find in Edinburgh. Before I even look at them, I know the answer. Has to be cop. Sea salt with Chardonnay wine vinegar crisps. Surely everyone says that. We had those. Those are the ones we had in the first episode, are they not? So my... So, let's bring this back to coffee, because two weeks ago, I had, in a day, I think, or no, two days, two of the big bags of that. And it really, really did... You on a diet? Really did mess up my tongue. Oh, did I? Generally, cupping coffee oh, like the next day was basically pointless. They are sore. They generally cut to the back of my tongue. Yeah. Those crisps are fantastic. Really, really, really good. They're like a 10 out of 10. I would say these. Yeah, what are we giving? They're not as good as discos. I think these are high. They score high. We need to find some crisps we don't like. Salt and shake, post salt and crisps for me. They have them. I don't think they do them anymore. Salt and shake. I'm going to give them a seven. I know. It, I know the ones you mean. Do you know which ones we should try? Uh, I don't know if you'll like them. It's like the lentil ones. Well, what lentil waves? Nah, they're like. I'll bring them in. We'll have them next. I, I just need to find one. That's that, a long segment talking about crisps. I know. I need to find one that we're like, oh, that was rank. Um, Prong cocktail, I never really I absolutely love prong cocktail. (laughs) Anything synthetic fishiness, I'm all for scampi and lemon. Skips. Skips. I used to, I don't mind that, I used to love skips. Quavers, love quavers. Prong cocktail flavoured watsits. Curveball. Watsits. I love watsits, those used to be my favorite. They're very like, ah. Mm. But, no vegan. Anyway, so back, I'm going to drag you back into, we've talked a little bit about White Label how it's great. It gets us a chance to work with, usually as well, quite cool coffee names as well. Yep. Um, uh, but now let's talk a little bit about, I guess, some of the single origin we do for wholesale customers too. And Like I, a collaborative? Like collaborative sort of stuff. And I, I wonder if we can segue that into... Well, maybe about a new product. As in wanting to do more single origin collabs, I guess. Yeah. But also, we 
I think so something I was thinking about before um, is we are, and we have to be very open to like just trying lots of different stuff. Yeah. We don't know, A, what the right thing to do as a coffee roaster is because I've never run a coffee roaster before. So kind of just trying things. Yeah. Trialing and seeing if it's more effort than it's worth or, yeah. you know, if it, if the mud sticks and it's so... Some of these things are doing one-off um, uh, funny named single origin drops, but one yeah. of the more recent ones, which has been very successful, and um, in terms of cementing a relationship with an absolutely slapping cafe, is the H9 one. Yeah, and I know they, uh, Lewis, especially will be excited because um, uh, Fraser was saying they loved the show the last time on the pod, but. Um, we did a, a project with EH9, which yeah. we are currently still doing, uh, and we want to do forever, FYI, um, which is to source a coffee for their cafe. Yeah. Um, and to keep it branded as Cairngorm Coffee, but as an EH9... Exclusive. Exclusive collaboration. So um, I don't know if you will be able to see it, but we've got like some of their... Well, got one of their coffee bags over here, one over here. Um, the kind of idea is you're buying... A couple, three or four sacks of something um, to then roast exclusively for them, and uh, that's been a really interesting experience. In terms of you were talking before about like roasting our own coffee, how did that then um, change the experience in the cafe? Yeah. I think for them, hopefully, it's enhanced their cafe experience because sure. what you'll see is a no-brainer. Is it? People want to buy your retail coffee if it's got your name on it, yeah. if they've had a good experience in your cafe. And I think this kind of offers a bit of, of an olive branch where EH9 can um, can uh, work with us. You know, I, I was trying to word this in a way that doesn't look like we're tooting our own horn. But, you know, we've built up a bit of a, uh, yeah, a brand yeah. credibility for roasting coffee. Yeah. So they get that. It, it makes it obvious that the coffee they're selling isn't just... You know, they're they're putting their name on it to cover the fact is roasted by Lavazza or something. Yeah. Um. So it, it has some credibility, but has their name on it, and people instantly want to buy it if it has the the cafe's name on it. Yeah, for sure. Is what we're seeing, I think. So for us, I think you're saying that's right. It's a massive win-win. You know, slightly different from White Label, where it's like that's a win-win also because it's getting volumes up, like we said through the roaster. Yeah. But this is a win. We get to benefit from you know, the success of the H9 brand in Dundee and yep. just generally their wider brand and yep. they also get to benefit from the same thing. And I think for us, we love doing that as well. We love collabing with like-minded brands for sure. Yeah. So it's not something that you would necessarily, I'm thinking as advice for coffee roasters, uh, yeah. which we would give ourselves, it's like you don't want to do it with every single person because yeah. you don't want to dilute like what it is you're trying to do, which is yeah. source your own great coffees with your brand on it. Yeah. But for the odds, um, I guess for the kind of client where you've already got a great relationship yeah, and you want to try and progress that and be more a part of what they're doing instead of uh, making them sign a contract and um, giving them a free machine. Yeah. There are other ways around it, I guess, like adding value to their business in a, in a different way. And that, yeah. that added value in this instance is, I guess, our understanding of sourcing green coffee and 
getting the best possible coffee for them. Yeah. Um, and the reason we want to do that with everyone is because, yeah, we, you know, it, 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 there is a consideration that we're passing up great laws for ourselves yeah. that our shops will never benefit from. Um, but, you know, for the old person who has a good volume, a good brand, you like his people, yeah. you want to do stuff with, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. I think you touched on quite an interesting point there around equipment as well. And that I think a big part of our wholesale philosophy is that we will, we have equipment, we are reseller, resellers for VA um, but for us, it's not really a massive part and it, we never really want it to be a massive part of our business. I think we always want to work with businesses to get them the best coffee they possibly can. And sometimes that's to do with equipment because the equipment helps, you know, improve the overall quality in a cafe. But I think that's a big part of our ethos and a big part of the enjoyment. It's not that enjoyable selling equipment, is it? No, not really. Unless it's the core, again, going back to the, you know, is it, if it's the core of your business yeah, and you are you do it well, I think the headache for us is a, it's not a core, yeah, I agree. It's the core of our business. Yeah. It's like we're, we're doing a lot of stuff. Um, it's a part of it and I yeah. think it's a part that we can do well. But yeah. It's, yeah, it's like it's not necessarily what gets us up in the morning. Yeah, I think that's it's cool because I, I guess it's almost more of a sales pitch from our point of view as well in the pod is that... Um, we're so keen just to work with cafes that are relatively like-minded in that, in that sort of way. Like it's enjoyable. And this, especially the process with EH9 has been pretty collaborative yeah. as in, you know, Fraser's been down here whilst you've been roasting the coffee, you've cupped the coffee, you know, they've been heavily involved in yeah. the finding of that coffee to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And that's good fun at the end yeah. of the day, isn't it? Yeah, a sprinkling of enjoyment on yeah. otherwise, otherwise tough. Uh, yeah, we'd... but you say that as well because like we've got lots of other wholesale customers who probably smaller volume than the likes of a EH9 or some of the other bigger cafes we do, but are also very enjoyable to work with because yeah. I think from your point of view, they could be getting coffee from probably a cheaper roaster than us. Yeah, but I guess they're choosing to go with us because. The quality, hopefully, of especially from the blend point of view, I think we pride ourselves on guilty pleasures. The quality of that as a blend is very, very high. For sure. and it's not that cheap, I guess, versus other blends that you could get from Illy yeah. or uh, Matthew Algae. That's always going to be the the hardest thing in working in specialty, an industry where you're putting a higher price tag on something which is readily available. Yeah, the cheaper. Um, price and I think trying to think of other industries that are like that but I guess like how do you convince someone that a Rolex is so much better than a Casio it's like yeah yeah it's like takes a lot of marketing and a lot of time to build that heritage brand and I th- yeah it's you know can we can we uh, last long enough to make this a heritage brand hopefully yeah I, well another I was just as you're thinking that another cafe to shout out is obviously we do uh, Plant Bay, for example, stocks, you know, the Guilty Pleasures blend, you know, he sells it as retail and he also, you know, has it on his uh, flat whites in store. And I think that's a relationship that's worked really, really well yeah. um, for what, yeah, for both of us. And I think he, credit to him, the quality of his brand and the quality of the coffee he serves in the shops is very, very high too. I don't another one coming on, on a... Um, uh, rampage here. Uh, 
brewed down in Portobello, who are actually one of our oldest uh, wholesale clients. Oh, jeez. Um, they have now started buying from us in reusable tubs. Yeah. Um, which we send down by far out. Yeah. Um, on a bike delivery system. Um, and uh, then they put it into their own tins. And they'll sell it as root downs coffee, and I'm like, that is class. Yeah, that is cool. Um, it's really low fuss for us. Yeah, uh, it means their customers are getting hopefully great coffee, um, and it's a real win-win for him because people want to buy it because it's got his name on it. If, if they're you know fans of his business, yeah, I completely agree. Another another wee plug then for that is obviously if you're in Edinburgh, we do now, you know, if you're a wholesale customer, we'll try and ship you your coffee you can order in either a seven kilo or a four kilo tub yeah and then multiples of those and i think from our point of view it then goes with uh far out bike delivery so we're pretty happy with i guess a reduction in packaging and also the reduction from a delivery you know co2 point of view yeah that what we can do now in edinburgh is pretty cool i think along those lines like all our cafes their coffee is delivered in tubs and now the majority of our Edinburgh-based wholesale customers are in tubs as well, yeah. which is pretty cool. There's another another topic uh, in a future episode about how to combat what we were talking about, like the perceived cost of specialty coffee being quite high, like yeah. thinking outside the box. So, you know, doing it in um, reusable tubs has allowed us to bring the per price kilo price down, down slightly because there's less packaging we need to pay for and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think that's... Um, a complete win for everyone involved. For sure. The customer wants to pay less. We don't necessarily want to pay for single-use packaging, even if it is um, created in a carbon-neutral setting and, yeah. uh, you know, technically recyclable somewhere. Um, you know, it, it makes complete sense to, to be doing that. And if it means we can make it more viable for other people to use our coffee, yeah, it's a big win. Yeah, massive. We, we probably need to start winding up. I yeah. think one thing we haven't talked about, which is just... They're really like, in terms of having fun in a roastery setting, are the more light-hearted coffee launches releasing? Oh, yeah. Actually, the Grand Slam being the most obvious. But during COVID, we did the Escape Coffee, which is when lockdowns lifted. We had the um, Cabin Fever Coffee when lockdown was going on. on yeah. Um, we've had the Summer Banger, and we want to do more stuff like that. The Lump of Coal. Look out for this. I don't even say it. But <laughs> the Lump of Coal. Yeah, which was obviously a massive hit. Um, and, yeah. Um, the yeah, the the Grand Slam coffee, which yeah. some some uh, people will probably think like, oh, what absolute idiots. So we're frank on this. We did not think Scotland would be in with, with a shirt or with one lost. Yeah, we did not. But, yeah, we thought you know, I mean that's maybe coming across far too negative, and this isn't the rugby pod, but um, we we had a plan which was to discount the coffee when we had our first loss, which we have now done. So yeah. you can go on there and get it cheaper. So we're not so um, blindly optimistic that we thought we were going to be able to get through all of the Grand It's slams. still a Grand Slam coffee, but maybe just for Irish people now. <laughs> Probably. We just pretend we didn't know what Grand Slam meant. Yeah. It's the Grand Slam. The Grand Slam. <laughs> yeah, for American. And um, uh, we also, the Red Boxes is another thing. That was a very flexible kind of... Yeah. Yeah, kind of thing that you can do. Working with our box printer, Windmill, uh, who are based up in Aberdeenshire, I think that that shows, again, clearly, the flexibility you can have sometimes to yeah. try and pump stuff out. We sold all of our red boxes. 
Robbie got his order quantities correct for the first time ever. <laughs> Might have a few Grand Slam sleeves kicking about. If I don't want <laughs> so does anyone want Grand Slam? I, I have any. Or do you think you're going to be left over? Um, hundred. <laughs> so if anyone wants to wallpaper their flat with the Grand Slam, yeah, I'll ship them all to Finn Russell. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, but I guess like we talk about this, and we we have a content spreadsheet, yeah, in house, and we added recently a column to that to try and track like what parts of our content, uh, podcast or Instagram or TikTok are impacting sales. And one thing we added last or the last few weeks was product launch. Yeah. Um, you know, to put a note when we launch a product. And I think yeah. that is the one inescapable thing which uh, has the biggest impact on sales is launching a new coffee or, you know, launching something which is impulsive to something which has happened, like the Six Nations ongoing or... Um, or well, I guess the season's changing, doing something, you know, it's, it makes complete sense. Unfortunately, we're not uh, Boohoo, so we can't launch a new product every day. No, that's uh, what they do. What? That's what they do. Yeah. That's mind-blowing. Yeah, not great. Um, so, yeah, but that's that's to do with the seasonality of coffee. Yeah. We will be launching probably, I guess, 10, max, 10 products a quarter, I assume. Yeah. Um, but we're quite happy with that. And I think it's quite a... Again, it's a lot of work to do that mm. uh, to, with your rosary hat. Yeah. Comment in the um, the comments. What do people say? Comment in the comments. Comment down below, if you're on YouTube, uh, what you want Jack to embroider on a sweater for a next lunch. Yeah. And if you want it to be fully washed, let me know. No matter what is written there, there will be at least one sold. I guess they're not promising they'll buy it, but... No. Um, but yeah, um, we probably should wrap up. Yeah, we're getting yeah, actually close to that one hour mark. I think that's been interesting. interesting. What time's your meeting? Pod. I've got big meetings, three o'clock. Three o'clock, you've still got time together. Oh, God, just... Um, yeah, I think that's good. Thank um, you very much. Thanks so much for viewing. Um, and sorry we missed last week. We didn't address this, but I was on holiday. Um, so... <laughs> We weren't organised enough. Jack's also on holiday. Jack is also on holiday. Jack was in Australia. For um, mm. a lot of holidays. The end, it's that time of the year. Trying to get them all out of the way before Edinburgh comes to zoo again with the fringe. So. Yes. Um, yeah. Which we are in big supporters of. We love the fringe. It makes it, makes it a bit nice and busy. Yeah. Um, well, have a lovely week, everyone. Have a lovely week. We'll see you soon. Bye. Happy Wednesday. <laughs>